Hello and welcome back to the Bentley Poirier Museum podcast. My name is Alexander and I'm here as your host for this episode. This podcast has been established alongside a temporary exhibition called Bentley Poirier's Bunker, Defending Britain from Nazi and Nuclear Threat. Bentley Priory Museum is currently running this project to investigate its top-secret underground bunker, which was used both in the Second World War and Cold War periods. This project wouldn't have been possible without the funding given to the museum by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. This episode, The Eyes and Ears, the ROC, is the second instalment where we will be exploring the history of the Royal Observer Corps and its connection to RAF Bentley Priory. We are joined by podcast volunteer Tim, who will give you some background about the ROC before diving in to listen to members recount their time at RAF Bentley Priory. The Observer Corps was formally established in October 1925 to report on aircraft, initially over the southeast of England. Over its history, the vast majority of its members were part-time, with a relatively small corps of full-time officers. Over the years, the area covered by the corps expanded in phases. Its organisation was based upon geographical areas, with groups subordinate to areas. These groups and areas changed over time as the corps itself grew and developed, and to reflect the organisation of the air defences generally. Monitoring posts were established in each of the groups, approximately 5 to 10 miles from each other, and these reported aircraft seen or heard to a centre at each group. There, the information was plotted on maps and fed into the air defence system. The Corps was called out on the 24th of August 1939. The Corps' last commandant, then Air Commodore Cliff Spink, now Air Marshal Cliff Spink, retired and Chair of Trustees of the Bentley Priory Museum, tells us more. The Observer Corps is a, a wonderful and a notable history, hence getting the title Royal uh, because of its um, wartime service and how essential that was. But bear in mind, we're just stepping back. While the chain home system was okay looking out to sea, they, they were fairly rudimentary radars looking over land. Although it wasn't impossible, it was tantamount to almost impossible. So once things coasted in, the matrix of all observer core posts, I mean, they were all over the country, almost, not quite line of sight, but almost line of sight with each other. Um, And so you've got this reporting in with the, um, from the little posts, height, direction, numbers, and of course, aircraft recognition was uh, well, well known to be a high skill in the Royal Observer Corps and maintained so. And that was very important. Um, and that actually went on for some years um, after the war, because although radars improved, overland radars were always, a, a, it was a di- difficult to get that sort. So they stayed in keeping. During World War II, the Corps' role of aircraft reporting remained central. Though it grew to incorporate aspects of aviation safety, for example, warning of high ground and guiding damaged aircraft, and it played an important part in the public air raid warning system. Partly in recognition of its contribution to victory in the Battle of Britain, the Corps was granted the style and title royal by King George VI on the 11th of April 1941. Originally an all-male organisation, 
From September 1941, women were unable to join and, as might be expected, from that point on made a significant contribution to the Corps. May 1941 saw observers correctly identifying and reporting on the arrival of Rudolf Hess's aircraft over the northeast. In 1944, in the scheme known as Seaborne, over 1,400 members volunteered for duty as aircraft identifiers on board defensively armed merchant ships taking part in the D-Day landings. Two of the volunteers were killed, and afterwards ten were mentioned in dispatches for their service. Only a week after D-Day, observers on the coastal post at Dimchurch correctly identified and reported on the arrival of the first of the V-1 flying bomb weapons. Following the appointment of Air Commodore Ambler, the first serving Air Commodore to be appointed to lead the Corps, a significant reorganisation of the Corps took place in 1942, and a graded rank structure was introduced. From mid-1942 onwards, its members wore RAF-style uniform with Royal Observer Corps rank badges and buttons. It's very similar to the RAF. It was the same colour as the RAF, same material. Um, we had a berry which was not like the RAF. It was a, a navy blue, navy blue berry with, um, or was it black? Yeah, I think it's black actually. Um, which had the, the ROC badge on, on, on the front of it. Yeah, it was like um, yeah, it was like sort of trousers and a, a jacket. You know, RAF material yeah. and a, and a tie, a black tie. Light blue shirt, light in RAF blue jacket. It had the words Royal Observer Corps across the shoulder. The Corps had a particularly strong link with Bentley Priory, as for the majority of its existence, it was headquartered there. It also had a strong relationship with the Crown. In 1953, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II became its Air Commodore in Chief and remains Royal Patron of the Royal Observer Corps Association. In 1966, the Corps' bond with Bentley Priory was enhanced when, on the 24th of June, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II presented its banner in recognition of the Corps' long service and achievement. This was done as part of a royal review at RAF Bentley Priory to mark the 25th anniversary of assuming the style and title Royal Observer Corps. The second banner was presented by Her Majesty 25 years later, once again, in the grounds of RAF Bentley Priory. Both the original and the 1991 Sovereign's banners are now laid up in the RAF Church St Clement Danes in London's Strand. A major review instituted by the Home Office in the late 1980s, combined with the end of the Cold War, resulted in a decision that its United Kingdom warning and monitoring organisation was to be disbanded, and as a result, the requirement for the ROC to act as its field force would lapse. Sadly, observers would not find out about this until a formal announcement was made in Parliament on the 10th of July 1991 that the ROC would be stood down. It being decided that this would take place at the end of September that same year. Despite the decision announced in July 1991 to stand down the bulk of the Corps, the services of the nuclear reporting cells including the one at RAF Bentley Priory, continued, together with a small command corps still at Bentley Priory. But it was then perceived in late 80s, beginning of 90, that uh, they didn't need this. And they're all volunteers, as you know, even though there were some regular officers, they're not so 
full-time officers. They felt that, that that wasn't needed. Technology was moving on. We could see over land a lot better. Um, and um, the call was stood down in 1991, just prior to me uh, coming in as Sasso, actually, um, uh, and Commandant. Stood down, but not disbanded, because the NRCs, the nuclear reporting cells, then took over in their um, quite well-found bunkers and locations. Um, that was 1991, which incidentally, I was flying a hurricane and on a fly pass for the parade on that day over Bentley Priory, not knowing that I was subsequently going to be commandant. The Corps may have shrunk substantially, but even then its role was expanding. Uh, they tended to go a little bit away from nuclear towards chemical and biological. So that was another aspect of what we had to start training and what the effects of um, chemical weapons and biological weapons would be like and how they would disperse and they were more localised whereas a nu one nuclear burst the plot could cover a third of the country depending on the wind direction and the speed whereas chemical biological attack would just cover an area the size of a RAF base or less than that on what it was. It was more difficult to work out where it, what was happening because you didn't know whether it was what agent it was unless you were actually on the ground and getting that information fed back to you. But yeah, it was, it was harder to predict what was going to happen. Obviously the RAF were more interested in that and they were, if a, new, a bomb went off, they knew it had gone off and they could see what was happening. We used to have um, calculators of what the actual uh, effects would be of a nuclear burst or whether it be a ground burst or an air burst. Or, but with chemical and biological weapons, you didn't know until they actually hit the ground. Finally, at the end of 1995, these last vestiges of a once proud corps were stood down. I hope you enjoyed hearing the many perspectives of personnel who spent time in the Royal Observer Corps. We are now joined by podcast volunteer Dave, who will talk to you about a stained glass window that is currently on display in the museum at Bentley Priory, depicting the role of the ROC. All museums will have treasures, and Bentley Priory Museum is no different. There you'll find several commemorative stained glass windows. Located in the entrance hall, situated opposite each other, bringing light to the area are two of the Battle of Britain's most iconic fighters, the Spitfire and the Hurricane. A third window is that of the Royal Observer Corps. Commissioned in 1992 to commemorate the Corps' service during World War II and its long association with the Royal Air Force, it also marks the occasion in the 1950s when Bentley Priory became its headquarters, and it was at a cocktail party there, in the presence of veterans and dignitaries on the 18th of August 1992, that the window was presented to the unit. Designed and produced by Maureen Hockey of the Chelsea School of Art, and standing almost eight feet tall, the colourful arch window's most prominent image is that of an observer searching the sky using a Micklethwaite height corrector on the backdrop of St Paul's Cathedral and the London skyline on the canvas of the Priory grounds, themselves under a canopy of Britain's defenders fighting for control in the sky above. Also prominent is the badge of the Royal Observer Corps, a motto forewarned is forearmed. Initially situated in the officer's mess, 
The window is now located in the main, by the main door, which was once a corridor leading to the dining room. Hidden in plain sight, it is a hidden gem as Honorary President of the Museum, 23rd Commandant of the RAC, and Honorary President of the Royal Observer Corps Association, Air Marshal Cliff Spink describes as having one of many nuances in its colourful design. A further audio description can be heard on the museum's website at bentleypriorymuseum.org.uk. But why not come to the museum itself to appreciate the beautiful window together with the other hidden treasures associated with the RAF and the ROC? As Dave mentioned, the window is indeed on display at the Priory. And in light of the new government announcements, keep your eyes on the Bentley Priory website and social media pages for details about the reopening of the museum. We will be back again at the end of this month with the third instalment of the Eyes and Ears, the ROC. But until then, it would be amazing if you could spread the word and share this podcast or any others from the series with friends and family and across your social media networks. This support would be greatly appreciated. So until next time, take care and thank you.